Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. on the fantasy skill positions we have pff austin gale here today i respect him for his nfl draft coverage i also respect him being from the san diego area it talks about the tacos talks about the mexican food also talks about beer die one of my favorite games uh, on the planet austin what's uh what's your favorite out of beer die and uh mexican food in san diego Man, Beard Eye is definitely the best drinking game there is. And, and best Mexican food in San Diego, I'm going to go with a college classic, Trujillo's, which is where uh, Kawhi Leonard would go get okay. three Sigma Chi Crunchwraps apiece. That was, uh, that was, uh, those are the days, man. San Diego, miss it all the time. Absolutely. Okay. Today's agenda, we are going to go over positions by positions. Um, I have my analytics rankings just kind of as a baseline here, but we know that. Uh, one model is going to get all the context here. So starting off with the quarterbacks, Kenny Pickett, he's number one in my model, 89th percentile. Uh, I also noticed that he was PFF's highest graded quarterback among the quarterbacks that are entering the NFL draft. The question is, why isn't he the consensus uh, QB1 if that's the case? Yeah, I think a lot of the concerns, right, are older prospect that didn't have a lot of collegiate success until his, what, 22, 23-year-old season. And you know, that's, that's you know, you, you don't look for that in the quarterback position, right? You want guys that are dominating, especially ACC defenses in their 21, 22, and 23-year-old seasons. You didn't really see elite, high-caliber play from Kenny Pickett until this past year. And then, of course... There is the hand size concerns. I, I was talking to Brady Quinn at, at the combine this year, and he's like, he wears the gloves. That accounts for a lot of it, right? It accounts for a lot of the grip issues. Uh, you know, you could say that he's got close to 10-inch hands with the gloves on, but the difference is the ball is a lot bigger in the NFL. Ball's yep. about an inch and a quarter bigger in the NFL, and there are going to be teams that are concerned with him playing in cold weather and, and some of that, you know, with some of the ball security stuff. I think the other concerns are is he doesn't have – you know, high-end athleticism. He doesn't have high-end arm talent compared to some of the other quarterbacks in this class. I am more concerned with that than I am the hand size. He is, however, easily the most accurate quarterback in this yep. class. I think that's a big reason probably why your model favors him. I think it's a big reason why other, you know, certain teams will value him as the top quarterback in this class. I think there's still a good chance he's the first one that comes off the board in this class because teams covet accuracy. And I think there's Know, more reliability in his game than maybe some of the other unpolished quarterback prospects. For me, he's not in that conversation. I actually have Desmond Ritter, the Cincinnati quarterback, as my QB1, and then I have Malik Willis at two, and then Pickett does not show up until, I think, four. I, I have him after Howell. I don't think the gap between Willis and Howell is that big. With Pickett, though, I think it's, it depends, right? If you're ranking the quarterbacks in order of guys I want to start tomorrow, I go Ritter, Pickett, then you're looking at these projects like Willis, Howell, and, and Corral. If you're looking at guys you want to start in three, four years, probably is a little bit different, right? It's probably Willis up top and maybe factoring Sam Howell a bit more just because there's such a lack of polish in this quarterback class. Yeah, Kenny Pickett, he's 94th percentile in uh, expected points added. That's pretty damn good. That's doing a lot uh, for, for my model here. The question is, 
you're on the clock. Let's play a little hypothetical. You are the GM of the Lions. 32nd overall, not a single quarterback has gone off the board yet. Do you feel comfortable with any of them? Because it's not just how they stack up in this class. To me, it's how are they going to stack up in next year's class? Is there a veteran that you can get as well? Because once you commit to one of these guys, usually you're going to be at least uh, hanging with them for a two season. So are any of them worth skipping next year's class if you're the Lions at 32? I think if no quarterbacks have been taken, I would definitely invest in Malik Willis or Desmond Ritter, hell, even Kenny Pickett. I think they're worth the flyers, right? And I think the only situation where I'm drafting a quarterback at 32 is if ownership in Detroit is confident that if it doesn't pan out and it's not developing, you can go take another quarterback in 2023, right? You have to kind of Josh Rosen this situation if you're not taking a quarterback inside the top 10. I think only when you invest top 10 draft capital does it probably keep you from looking at the 2023 class if you are drafting that highly now if you take Malik Willis halfway through the draft or you and you don't trade up significant capital for him or Kenny Pickett midway to halfway and then it's like okay if it works and you develop him over 17 games and it's not something you want to continue to build around go take a quarterback in 2023 right I think the Eagles if they were drafting higher and Jalen Hurts did not play as well as he did last year second round investment in quarterback they were probably considering it right and they've already traded to get more capital in the next year's class probably considering that right because they don't know if Hertz is going to you know, elevate his game and take this next step. And if he doesn't, they're going to be in a prime position to go up and get one of these top name quarterbacks in next year's class. Will Levis of Kentucky, CJ Stroud, Ohio State, Bryce Young, Alabama. All those guys should be draft eligible. Yep. I, I think I would draft Kenny Pickett there. Maybe you can sell me on Ritter or Malik Willis. The other guys I'm not sure about. But for, for me, Kenny Pickett is the quarterback one. Now running back, uh, Retail's popping in the model, like really popping in the model, 96 percentile. That's despite having like projected second round draft capital. The reason why 95th percentile athlete, he caught uh, passes at an 80th percentile level. To me, when I watched him, I didn't see like the same vision and patience and timing, especially between the tackles, like some of the other players that are usually projected this high. But I do see somebody that's going to play a three down role in the NFL what's your opinion of Brees Hall is he in that like Ezekiel Elliott type of tier is he closer to like Javante Williams is he a tier below that um the model loves him I'm not sure if my tape evaluation completely agreed with that though yeah it's interesting I'm not surprised that and your model is high on him I think his athletic testing was way better than I expected it to be I don't see that same like home running home run hitting explosiveness that we saw in Indianapolis like I'd say the same thing about Kenneth Walker if you told me Kenneth Walker was going to run a sub 4-4 I'd say there's no chance right I think there was a little bit of a fast track in Indianapolis Uh, what's also interesting right is that the running backs did not run the three cone I was talking to a trainer um, that you know trains a lot of these guys and he said the reason they didn't is because it happened so late they were going to start running three cones at like 11 45 p.m so all of the running backs opted out and I think I don't know. I, I think the combine situation was really flawed this year. And I think some of the numbers are, are really flawed. I was stunned to see Garrett Wilson run faster than Chris Olave. I, I, there's a lot of these things that just didn't make a ton of sense. So I try and not throw it completely out the window, but I go back to the film and I don't see that same generational like speed or even like upper 95th percentile, you know, type of talent in Brees Hall. I like Kenneth Walker over Brees Hall. I, I wouldn't take Let's go. either of these backs either inside the first round. Like I don't think, I, you know, and PFF is always a bit lower on running backs than obviously the NFL will be. I know there's some conversation around the Buffalo Bills potentially looking at Brees Hall at 25. I'd no almost way. rather take nearly any other player that has been rumored in the first round for the Buffalo Bills than Brees Hall. And that's not because Brees Hall is a bad player. It's just that the positional value aspect and also I'm just not as high on him as I was even, you know, Javante Williams. Right. I, I would not view Brees Hall or Kenneth Walker ahead of Javante Williams in last year's class. 
Yeah, totally agree with you. I, I think that uh, the analytics community in fantasy football in particular is really high in Brees Hall. If, I think that if he goes to the right landing spot, he can go up to like the second round in fantasy drafts. I'm not sure if he's that level of talent. Maybe he's closer to like Antonio Gibson. Uh, I think it's that next tier where you can see like, yeah, if this works out, it can definitely work out. But um, I'm not sure if I fully bought in. Uh, after that, my model kind of, there's a huge drop off. We both like Kenny uh, Kenneth Walker a decent bit. But after that, Isaiah Spiller, 70th percentile. Zamir White, 69th. Tyler Algier, James Cook, Rashad White, Brian Robinson, Kyron Williams, all these uh, running backs kind of battling for that uh, RB3 title. Do you like any of them as your RB3 or perhaps higher? Yeah, I like James Cook probably of the RB3s in this group. I'm not a big on Isaiah Spiller. I think the athletic testing was really, really worrisome. And you know, Rashad White is someone that I know my co-host Mike Brenner really likes a lot, but he is an older prospect. I, for his weight, though, when you think consider 214 pounds and, and how fast he ran and some of the explosive that he had, I, I think there was a lot to like about Rashad White. Route running, though, pretty, pretty below average. And I think with Kenneth Walker, too, I like Kenneth Walker. Still not a hands catcher, a guy that kind of, you know, clasps at the ball rather than really catching with his hand. I, I, there isn't really a super polished running back in this class, honestly. And when yeah. you look at where the league is trending, only six running backs last year played more than 60% of their team's offensive snaps. Najee Harris laid the way, led the way, I think, at 81%. You're not drafting guys to start, really. And I think with this class specifically, you're not going to have draft capital that's warranting that either. So I think when I look at drafting a running back in this class, I want complementary pieces, flavors that I don't currently have in my backfield. You go to Damian Pierce, who couldn't – probably have had a worse combine despite being such an awesome dude and, and a fun player to watch. But if you need that bowling ball, short yardage, brick house, and a really good pass protector, you're going to get Damian Pierce somewhere on like late day two, day three, right? And I think other backs, I like Keontae Ingram, who I think is getting vastly underrated in this class, the USC running back who could have a three down skill set. Though I, I don't even know how positive three down back is anymore in terms of like a yeah. nomenclature, right? Because like no backs are really three down backs. What I want is a back that's going to be excellent when you give him 40 to 50% of the team's offensive snaps. And there's, you know, like that's the Tony Pollards of the world where they're super explosive all the time and can always hit the home run. Yeah, for me, I'm, I'm currently going Zamir White as my RB3 just because I think you can build an upside case. He tested... Pretty damn well, obviously, a five-star recruit coming in. If he had to catch passes, I think that he could do that. He wasn't exactly doing that because he had James Cook, but I can at least give myself a path. But totally with you, like RB, there's not players that are playing 90% of the snaps at the position anymore. I'd rather just go for somebody that can land in the exact role. Um, it seems like the top four wide receivers, everyone probably listening to this knows who they are. Jameson Williams, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Chris Olave. Then there's a little bit of a tier break. I think a lot of people had Traylon Burks uh, higher than this. I, it seems like he might be someone that could fall a little bit. He's uh, still a 90th percentile uh, prospect in my model, then followed by Sky Moore, George Pickens, Jahan Dotson. Those are the uh, the next four. Do you like one more than the other? And is there one that kind of scares you out of that four? Yeah, Sky Moore is my guy. I think Sky Moore I'd have even ahead of Traylon Burks if you know I put – final grades together. I think even on my board, I have Sky Moore had a Traylon Burks. And it's because I, I, you know, of those receivers you're highlighting there, I feel really, really confident in him being an outside receiver with inside outside versatility, even though he's only five foot 10, five foot 11, 195 pounds with 31 inch arms, one, four, seven, 10 yard split. That's 97th percentile receiver position. And some of the best hands of this draft, really good yak ability, dynamic player, shake at the release and at the stem. I, I, I don't see why, you know, only reason in my opinion, Sky Moore is not consensus viewed as a top player is one, he came out early so he wasn't able to go to any of the all-star bowls and show out yep. at, you know some of the one-on-ones and two he went to a group of five school 
And I think it's level of competition, level of competition that show up for Sky Moore, maybe why he's not viewed as this consensus first-round player. I'm big on Sky Moore. And of that group that I'm probably most concerned about, you know, maybe George Pickens, just from a sample size perspective, right? He just hasn't, you know, I think 46% of his career receptions came his true freshman year. And then I think the other piece of it, too, is that you just haven't seen him run a super diverse route tree. Neither have you seen that with Traylon Burks, but at least he produced in the role that he played at Arkansas. George Pickens, those are our production concerns with him. He might have the best ball skills, best hands, along with Jahan Dotson in this class, but you know, largely ran a very limited route tree, played just the vertical routes, the curl and the go, and, and that's concerning to me. I, I want to I see guys, if I'm drafting them in the first round or inside the top 40, I want to ask guys to run the full route tree unless they're game breakers in these gadget roles that they play, which I think Drake London is a game breaker playing the big yep. slot. And I also think Traylon Burks can be a game breaker playing the big slot as well with a lot of yak, yak ability. Yeah, I see Traylon Burks and George Pickens as similar bets for completely different reasons. I don't know what to do with their kind of... Um, we have George Pickens. There's some con- character concerns. Uh, Traylon Burks apparently has had a, a little bit of a weight issue. Um, he also is in a very specific role. If Traylon Burks is going to hit, he has to basically change to be an, an X receiver on the outside, something he just didn't do. And these gadget roles for fantasy purposes are just not all that appealing. Traylon yeah. Burks is going to be a, a top 10 fantasy receiver. He has to go play in two wide receiver sets, go win on the outside and downfield. Uh, we haven't seen that. Now you can make that bet. I'm certainly open to that ceiling potential. Same thing with George Pickens. George Pickens had zero of the production, but if he does hit, I have seen him win downfield at that X spot. So both are very boom bust picks. And I think that landing spot will be, pretty uh key here i can see both of them kind of sliding a little bit in the draft sky more very easy to project to me same thing with Jahan dotson probably probably will be number two receivers but i really think that their evaluation is pretty straightforward uh the last question for wide receivers is just who on like round three round four do you think that all of a sudden it comes week 15 in the fantasy football season all of a sudden we're starting one of these types of players like amon ross st brown comes to mind um, there's always been like basically one breakout candidate. I'm looking at like John Mechie, David Bell, Taekwon Thornton, Alec Pierce, Shaquille or Khalil Shakur, any of these names ring a bell. Yeah, probably of that group that you're kind of highlighting here, I'd lean toward Alec Pierce or Jalen Tolbert, who I think can actually win on the outside, have good explosiveness for the size that they have. And you know, Pierce, I don't think, you know, you, you people talk a lot about Christian Watson. Oh, he could slip into the first round. Go turn on the Pierce tape, dude. Pierce is really, really explosive and way better attacking the football in the air than Christian Watson is. His ball skills are legitimate. And you watch back and and look at the Desmond Ritter film. There's only one receiver he really trusted in that offense. And it was Alec Pierce. I think Pierce is going to be a bit of a gem as, you know, other buzzy receivers go ahead of him. Guys like Dotson, Watson, um, you know, Burks, et cetera. I I wouldn't rank Pierce ahead of those guys, but I think he's going to be a really value pick if he is available there in round three. And I think the other receiver I'll throw out too, I think he's more of a top of day three type, but Bo Melton, the Rutgers wideout that I think has, you know, true slot ability could immediately start like right away for me in the slot. I kind of compared him to, um, you know, I, I think it's, he's, um, you know, very similar to Eddie Royal. I don't know if anyone remembers Eddie Royal, but the Denver oh, yeah. slot that was a pretty productive receiver. I like Bo Melton a lot. Former four-star recruit from the Jersey area was going to go to Michigan or Boston college, but wanted to stay in Jersey. So he goes to Rutgers. So he doesn't have like that power five fame or that upper power five fame. But I think Melton four, three, four speed, legitimate, legitimate weapon out of the slot for Rutgers this past year. I think that's a top of day three, round four, round five guy that I think cracked Daniel Jeremiah's top 150. I think teams are going to bet on. Yeah, going back to Alex Pierce, I have him ranked straight up 
above Christian Watson. Now for fantasy purposes, if Christian Watkins is the 36th overall pick and Alec Pierce is 88th overall, I'm obviously going to be ranking Christian Watson ahead in fantasy, but just straight up, I think I liked Alex Pierce's tape a little bit better than Christian Watson's uh, moving on to tight ends. This, we did not have to spend a whole lot of time on this position. I'll ask you straight up who is tight end one. My model has uh, Trey McBride, 86 percentile. Then you have the UCLA kid, 82nd percentile. Charlie Kohler kind of popped in my model at 78th. Isaiah Likely, uh, your boy, San Diego State, Daniel Bellinger, um, is that kind of rounds out my top five. Who's the tight end one in the class, and will he ever matter for fantasy purposes? Yeah, Trey McBride's my tight end one as well. I, I don't know how high he goes. I know there has been some rumor that the Cincinnati Bengals are interested in the tight end at 31. That would be baffling to me if they go Trey McBride or say they're really high on Jelani Woods who isn't all that dissimilar to who they had in CJ Uzama from an athletic profile standpoint I don't know I'm interested to see what the Bengals do obviously for fantasy purposes your draft capital is going to matter so much if McBride goes earliest of this group he's probably going to be the most valuable of them but like you look at some of the guys that are high in your model I don't think Isaiah likely gets drafted like honestly like his, his his pro day testing was horrendous and and you look at some of that and compare him to the former Washington tight end that fell out of the first round Hunter Bryant who's similarly undersized did not test super well ends up going undrafted Weidermeyer at Texas A&M also didn't test all that well if I had to bet on one of these guys maybe it's homerism but like Daniel Bellinger is good like and and a good athlete for a player that has his size I think he's going to get drafted somewhere on late day three late day two sometime on day three and could even come out of this as the most productive tight end it's like not a good you know, you, you ask coaches, it's like, oh, it's a great tight end class. There's a lot of depth. But like in today's NFL, specifically from a production standpoint, like only the elite tight ends eat in this league. So I don't necessarily think that because the tight end class is deep doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be fantasy productive. Yeah, he Daniel Bellinger is the, the tight end that's popping in the model the most. I wrote him up as one of my sleepers. He has 46 percentile draft capital, but my model has him as a 66 percentile uh player it, it's really interesting because he he is an 81st percentile athlete 73rd percentile production it's weird that offense just is not known for passing the ball all over the park uh, mm-hmm. but the market share numbers are good enough uh with him just real quick on trey mcbride because he's the one that's going to have some fantasy buzz because probably go i'd say second round maybe third round um his athleticism surprised me he's a 76 percentile adjusted spark athlete i'm not ever sure if i saw that on tape exactly his like he uh, yards and just like he was dominant at Colorado State but man they had nobody else to throw the ball to we know what that conference is like were you expecting to be this good of an athlete or was this something that surprised you as well I think it was expecting a little bit when you saw how big he was and what he weighed in at right I thought he was a little bit bigger uh when I was watching him on tape but I think and you see his size I guess it is not all that surprising that he tested as well as he did I think you know I brought up likely I think that's the more impressive and more like absurd thing to say I think I saw in your model there 22nd percentile spark athlete that is uh that is tough man that's gonna be very yeah. difficult for the guy that's already undersized and yep. you know, Mike and I on our podcast we're talking recently it's like dude drop some weight and play receiver or something like at this point it's it's gonna be very difficult for him to find the field at an inline tight end file Yep, totally agree. All right, moving on to the offensive tackles. Uh, The underdog football show is not known for their offensive line evaluation, so let's stick at the top. Um, Evan Neal, Charles Cross, and then Icky Iguano. Could you just tell us, like, what type of offensive tackles? Like, what fit? Are they going to be more of the dancer types out in outside zone? Are they just going to be the power guys? Are they going to be guards? Are they going to be tackles? Just run through those top three for us. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Evan Neal, all three of those top guys are going to play tackle first, right? I think Neal has a lot of positional versatility. He played like every position there in Alabama, but you have to, you have to try and tackle it first. And I think Iki Aquanu, a lot of people want to kick him out of guard, but he hit all of the measurables, meets all the thresholds to play off with the tackle and has been on an upward trajectory his entire career there at NC State. And then Charles Cross, I think, is a tackle only. I don't like the idea of kicking him inside the guard. I don't think that's going to be his strong suit. I honestly think Cross is the best offensive tackle in this class. And I think the okay. reason the league might be lower on cross or maybe the media might be lower on cross than, you know, where PFF sees him is obviously the Washington state Mike Leach offense that he played in that, you know, you know, favors pass sets and all that stuff, but not necessarily, you don't see a lot of run blocking snaps. Charles cross was one of the highest graded run blocking offensive tackles this past year. He just didn't do it a lot. I think, for me, it goes Cross, then Iki Kwanu, then Evan Neal, but it's all they're all really, really talented offensive tackle prospects. I'd be really surprised if any of the three are still on the board after pick seven. Okay, so just going back to Charles Cross, I think he's pretty interesting here. I Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think he was recruited to be in this air raid offense, and Mississippi State was not an air raid offense before that. No. So I'm sure Charles Cross it was uh, anticipating to go kick some ass down there. What about like the the fit with like the Seahawks like traditionally obviously the Seahawks are in kind of their own bubble when it comes to offense if he's still on the board they need a left tackle do you think that they would be too worried about the air raid stuff or are you just sticking to your guns that he's an actual uh run run blocking offensive lineman as well yeah I don't think they'd be worried at all like I think his floor is is nine to the Seattle Seahawks I think he goes high as five to the New York Giants I think they're going to be a team that really covets him as well so I, I I do think that all bets are Charles Cross being a top 10 pick. I think Ike Aquano is going to be in consideration at number one and at number three to the Houston Texans. And if not, I think the Jets could consider him at four. And again, like you, you, these offensive tackles are really, really good. And a class that's been drilled for not having blue chip talent, this is the position group where at the top end, I think there's a lot to bet on with those first three. All right. After that, there's a little bit of a drop-off to Trevor Penning, who's an older prospect, elite, elite athlete, more of that run-blocking type. Tyler Smith's kind of interesting because he's on that round one-two border. Somebody I'm considering having in my final mock draft. He's really popping in my model. He's really young. Uh, He has pretty good athleticism. Uh, What can you tell me about uh, Tyler Smith? Obviously, he comes from Tulsa. That's pretty random. I never see him ranked super high in rankings, but I see him floated, and he's kind of popping in the model. Yeah, Tyler Smith, I think you highlight a lot of the, the right things. Super young player, super athletic, and obviously, you know, coming out as a redshirt sophomore from Tulsa, the NFL draft committee had to have told him some good news, right? You don't, right. You don't come out as an underclassman, as an offensive lineman, even in Power 5 schools, unless you're getting good news from the committee. The fact that he's coming out of Tulsa, I do think, is a positive sign to how the league views him. And then you look at his production profile, much better from a grading standpoint, both in pass protection and run blocking, too. Maybe a player that has similar blanketed terms in terms of his evaluation, like Austin Jackson. Austin Jackson, super young, athletic, snuck into the back end of the first round, but graded terribly at USC. Never cleared 70.0 as a run blocker. Tyler Smith, I think, was a 93, 94.0 run blocker this past year at Tulsa. Teams are going to bet on him. I think he's a lock to go inside the first round, especially with the needed offensive line towards the back end. Uh, I think the worry is he's not a finished project, right? But neither is Trevor Penning, and Trevor Penning is getting boxed inside the first 17. Uh, just Tyler Smith is a more run blocker, pass protector, somewhere in between, just for mock draft purposes. I was looking at like maybe the Titans, like you never know with like yeah. the Packers and stuff. They kind of roll the dice on these young players. 
yeah, I think Packers, Titans are two spots where you could really see him come off the board. I think the Cincinnati Bengals at 31 feel like his absolute floor. Okay. Like I think they'd even take him too, as despite how much they've invested in the offensive line. Run blocking, got a lot of explosiveness. You know, I was talking to Mike today on the podcast. He's like, he doesn't have that dissimilar power or at least explosiveness. Like he, want. Like he can fly out of his stance and make plays as a run blocker. So teams are going to cover that. All right, on to interior linemen. Uh, Tyler Linderbaum is, I think, a pretty easy projection for me. He is a 90th percentile center prospect. He's probably going to be on that round one-two border. Definitely smaller at the position. Will not be a fit for everybody. Uh, 97th percentile athlete. So I think he's going to be ranked really high on some boards and then completely off the board on some of the other ones. Uh, Zion Johnson and Kenyon Green, um, if I have this correctly, Zion Johnson, more of the the outside zone a little more mobile and then Kenyon green, more of a power uh, offensive guard. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I think Kenyon green, the reason, you know, teams might be concerned is his athletic profile isn't all that similar to what Zion Johnson offers. I do think it's going to come off the board in that order though. I think it's Linderbaum, then it's going to be Zion and then Kenyon green, Kenyon green, I think has been mocked consistently. The Dallas Cowboys at 24, you know, Chris Collinsworth today, owner here at PFF thinks he could be a top 15 pick. I think he is getting the league views Kenyon green higher than PFF does. I think he's in that. 40 to 50 range on PFF's draft board, but it's probably going to be a lock to be a first-round pick. And then after that, there was a lot of starters at interior offensive line. They're going to be available on day two. Some of the guys you have highlighted here, Jamari Salyer, who played tackle at Georgia, should start at guard in the NFL. Darian Kennard, played tackle at Kentucky, should start at guard in the NFL. You have Dylan Parham, who I think could start early on. I really like Jurgens. I like Cole Strange of Chattanooga. This is a really deep interior offensive line class. Uh, Sean Ryan too. And then just down on your board, I think it might be too low on my guy, Luke, uh, Luke Gedeke. I think he's another tackle guard convert. That's going to have some success in the NFL too. All right, cool. Um, one thing I do want to note, Kenyon green might have a little bit of a knee issue, which might cause him to fall. I think Daniel Jeremiah had that, uh, yesterday. So I think he was somebody I wanted to have in my mock draft, but I'm a little bit more hesitant with that knee injury. And my model has zero idea about the old knee injury. So that's just something we have to, Follow the news. All right, on to the defensive side of the ball. Let's start with the big guys. Uh, defensive tackles, obviously Jordan Davis is the top of the class. I feel like everyone knows about Jordan Davis. We have a full video on him below, so let's skip over him. Uh, the next group is DeMarvin Leal, uh, Devontae Wyatt, Travis Jones. My model likes this Texas A&M guy. I don't know why. Uh, he's only a 97th percentile adjusted production because he's a 21-year-old. Uh, coming from a, a power five school, 87th percentile ta- tackles for loss. He's a decent athlete, 97th percentile three cone, but only third percentile weight. Why does my model like this guy who I've never heard of? Yeah, DeMarvin Leal is interesting. I think teams are, he was a guy that was going to be projected in the first round for a lot of mock drafts going into this year, but has not had, did not play a lot of the same position at Texas A&M, right? He's moved okay. up and down the line of scrimmage, kind of like this interesting tweener type that I worry a bit about his production and also like where exactly you're going to play him in the NFL. Uh, I do think he's comfortably a day two player, but okay. I honestly think looking at where you have these guys, I think Devontae Wyatt might be a little bit lower. I'm sure age is probably a big factor in that, yep. but there are a lot of teams that see Devontae Wyatt as the best defensive tackle in this class. And there are teams that think he could you know fall out of the first round. So he, there is some polarizing viewpoints on Devontae Wyatt. I think he's easily the best interior pass rusher of the guys in this class. I think he's the guy that's going to affect that part of it the most. And he also has one of the more impressive run, run defending seasons we've ever seen. Now he's an older player and produced when he was older, but still I think his production is good enough to where teams are going to consider him at the back end of the first top of the second. Yeah. My model really puts a lot of emphasis on younger players. And that's the reason why, but I think that my model might struggle. And I've seen this with like some of the Ohio state wide receivers, same thing with the Alabama wide receivers, 
where if you're playing at the elite, elite schools, it's hard to get on the field early and you might yeah. need that extra year to. So I don't really want to fully punish him. My model does know that Georgia absolutely shredded on defense last year, but he is very much one of the most polarizing players. I keep mocking him to the Buccaneers. If you can fall that far, I would love that <laughs> fit. Any other names like Travis Jones? I see sometimes in round one mock drafts or are there any other sleepers we should know about? Yeah, I really like Travis Jones. I think Travis Jones is like, so Jordan Davis is the nose tackle you want in this class. I think Travis Jones is a close second, 325 pounds, really good athlete for a player his size. Like I do think that if Jordan Davis didn't light the combine on fire, more people would be talking about uh, Travis Jones. You know, what he did at 325, I think was really special. 10 yard split, three cone, all those things. Really, really good. And he also played a lot of three tech for UConn and like rushed the passer well. At a guy his size, like just, just rarely happens. Um, I think he'll benefit from better coaching in the NFL. He'll benefit from seeing more, you know, getting more experience against top flight competition. But I thought he dominated at the senior bowl. And it's a big reason why I think he's going to be in that back end of the first top of the second round conversation. Yep. 98th percentile adjusted spark athleticism for, for Travis Jones. He, he might be like one of like those surprise round one guys. I don't have him in my mock drafts, but he'd probably be top 50. All right. Into the position that's going to be flying off the board, Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker. I feel like we've heard enough from them. I'm more interested in Jermaine Johnson. There was just some reports before we logged on. Connor Hughes, who covers the Jets, he thinks it's going to be Jermaine Johnson. We had Mike Garofolo. He thinks that Kayvon Thibodeau is going to slide a little bit past four. It might be Jermaine Johnson at fourth overall. Uh, older prospect, 23 years old, crazy athleticism. What's the deal with Jermaine Johnson? I, I think those are foolish. I, I think the Jets would be foolish to look at Jermaine Johnson over Kayvon Thibodeau, honestly. Like that, he's two years older and produced significantly worse and isn't yep. even the athlete that Kayvon Thibodeau is. I, it makes no sense. It, it, it honestly makes no sense. If, if Jermaine Johnson is the pick over Kayvon Thibodeau for the Jets, that would be a more ridiculous decision than the Jags taking Walker over Hutchinson. Like I think that those players are at least a little bit closer in comparison from like a projection standpoint, Jermaine Johnson, yep. the concerns with age are he ranked tied for 111th in the FBS and passers winning passers win rate, according to PFF from pure outside the tackle alignments at 22 years old. And you look Jeez. at some of these other players in this class, like they're younger and they're more productive. I don't, I don't understand why Jermaine Johnson is getting vaulted and now into the top five more like, you know, top 10 borderline top five conversation i think he's a good player i think he's a top 40 50 player in this class two days at the senior bowl he dominates and ever since then it's been you know just a rocket upwards people talk about trayvon walker you know having this pre-draft process that has had him flying boards jermaine johnson i think has had a more meteoric rise like honestly i don't think a lot of people this is a guy that had to transfer from georgia to play at florida state and people yeah. are mocking him ahead of trayvon walker it, 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 his his prospects are very interesting i think it's 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 ridiculous to think that the Jets would take Kayvon Thibodeau after Tr- Jermaine Johnson and actually value him. Yeah, Thibodeau's legitimately two years younger than Jermaine Johnson and had better production. So Wave, I don't. And, and you could I argue he's a better athlete. I don't. It doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah, it does not make too much sense to me. But I'm following the tea leaves there. It's it, it's <laughs> got to be some of like Kayvon Thibodeau like off the field. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't really b- believe any of that stuff. But um, the next one on the list: George George Carl Loftus, David Ojabo. Uh, we have Arnold Abikity, Drake, Drake Jackson, any of these players. I think uh, George Carl Loftus, some some people believe he's falling. To me, his profile looks pretty, pretty solid, a decent enough athlete, good, uh, good power five prospect, productive. Uh, what am I missing with George Carl Loftus? He seems like the perfect edge rusher in like the teens. 
Uh, I mean, the gap between George Karloftis and Aiden Hutchinson is not that vast. I have okay. Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker, and George Karloftis all in my tier one of edge defenders, all top 10 players in this class. I think arm length is as big of a concern for Karloftis as it is Aiden Hutchinson. He's not the athlete from a, you know, from a bend perspective, like change of direction that Aiden Hutchinson is, but still really explosive. You know, played on the Greek water polo team, I think, you know, Greek national water polo team at like 13 years old really strong lower half lunch pail type from a work ethic standpoint high character high production in the big 10 and he did it at an early age i mean this guy was playing like 700 snaps as a true freshman for purdue i i don't i don't understand why he'd fall outside the top 20 and again jermaine johnson is this guy who's in consideration for top five i i think we're overthinking this class at this point if that's the case yeah i, I don't really believe that george Karloftis is going to fall too far i think like uh 23 to Still the cardinals super young too 21 yeah. years old is the same that's ridiculous. Um, so then there's like the kind of the next debate. Boye Mafe is somebody that I see projected in the first round uh, pretty often. He is not that great of a prospect looking at my model. Um, he's definitely a good athlete, but just the production uh, at his age isn't that great. Compare him to someone like Arnold Abikity, who mm-hmm. is definitely better in my model, but kind of similar like in an age uh, profile standpoint. Yeah, for, for Mafe, I think the under-discussed piece is like he had a really good senior bowl, but his arms are also short, 32 and 5-8-inch arms, okay. uh, 58th percentile wingspan, which helps, but still 16th percentile arm length and solid explosion, though. Like he's an explosive player, 1-5-9, 10-yard split, 4-5-3, 40-yard dash, and then upper 90th percentile on both the jumps. But the, the arm length is going to show up as a concern. I still think he needs to develop his hands as a pass rusher. I like Ebiketti over Mafe. Mafe, better arm length. I still think he's an explosive athlete. Also, just better production. Like, Ebiketti is one of the more productive pass rushers in this class when you look at his 2021 season alone. I, I think he's a guy that should be more rumored in the first round than even Mafe. Yeah, I have Arnold going round one, and I'm debating having Mafe slide out of it. Just the production. I, I look at tackles for loss. It's a little bit more um, predictive than sacks are just because there's more um, of them. And Arnold at 80. 80- yeah, 82nd percentile, and then Mafe is down at 27th percentile, and they're the same exact age, um, similar colleges. So uh, I'm with you on that one. Uh, is there any other random surprise that we can see at Ed, Ed Rusher, like a Drake Jackson, any of those guys? Yeah, not, the, right? the Drake Jackson stuff is interesting. I think he wins as a finesse player, despite having like not an overly finesse frame. And yeah. it's, it, he's a weird player. I don't know where the NFL is going to view. Drake Jackson. I think the player to look for at edge that I've like grow has grown on me a ton is look at the athletic profile for Josh Pascal. Kentucky yes. edge, a bigger dude, you know, I think 269 pounds, but had upper 90th percentile, 10 yard split, upper 90th percentile in the jumps. He was used very similar to Trayvon Walker and produced a lot better than Trayvon Walker, playing a lot of, you know, four and head up or inside the tackles, super productive pass rusher. The league should be a lot higher on Pascal if they aren't right now. I think he's the 72nd ranked player on the media consensus board. I think he's firmly a top 40 player in this class. Yeah, I'll give you a little insight. Uh, the USC prospects from last year and this year, I would uh, draft them because they got zero development at USC and there's a lot of untapped potential there. They were not ever used in the right situation. So uh, I'm super optimistic on Drake London in particular, but I think any of these USC prospects, I would have some interest. All right, linebacker. Here's one of my takes um, from the model. I'm looking at the linebackers and the Wisconsin linebacker, Leo Chanel, he has literally a hundredth percentile adjusted production. Then he goes and he has 98th 
percentile adjusted athleticism. What am I missing here? Like you rarely see this level of production and athleticism from a power five player, uh, early declare 21 and a half years old, and nobody talks about him. What am I missing? I'm not convinced that the Leo Chanel tape against Navy should be banned from being played in schools. Like this guy is one of the, one of the more productive players and like for all the right reasons, right? It's not like ridiculous production. He's just an insane athlete. He beat Tyler Linderbaum on the nose playing, you know, up on the line of scrimmage multiple times in that Iowa game. The fact that he's being consistently, you know, mocked in like round three and stuff just makes no sense. And I do think that he's going to be in consideration for the top 40, top 50 picks. I think he's firmly at top of the second round type of player. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, this linebacker class is interesting. A lot of conversation has been had around N'Kobe Dean, who I think is the most instinctual player in this class. Quay Walker, the other George defender, has the ideal, not the ideal, but you know, wingspan that's very similar to Jamin Davis, which we know from last year is 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 length that the team the league covets. I think there's a very good chance Quay Walker goes in round one. And then Dean Lloyd, age is probably the biggest concern, but probably the best like all-around off-ball linebacker in this class, who I think his floor projection is probably 21 to the pass. Okay. Um, yeah, I think Devin Lloyd's a lock for the first round. Quay Walker, interesting. Uh, the Lions need linebacker at 32. There's some other teams, maybe like the Packers or something, can get kind of interesting. Do you like Quay Walker more than Kobe Dean, just like uh, looking at the first round? No, I I, I don't. I, I think the league is higher on Walker. And then the medicals with Dean, I think, are interesting. I think there's okay. a lot of injuries that have come up with Dean in this process. Nothing like completely like take him off the board kind of stuff. But there are some injuries that I think we saw in an article from MMQB. I think Albert Breer highlighting some shoulder stuff, some knee stuff and all this different stuff that when you combine that with like, he's already undersized and then we didn't get an opportunity to see him test. That could be enough, right. For say a Detroit to like Quay Walker over Nicobe Dean. I think Dean's the better player, but there's been enough flags. Let's call them yellow flags in the pre-draft process. that I think he could slip maybe further than people think. Yeah, I I agree with that. It seems like if everything was was checking boxes, he's from Georgia and that defense. I think that people would want to be ranking him pretty high. So that's on my radar. All right, corners. Um, Derek Stingley, Sauce Gardner are the top two. They're kind of different looking t- type of players. Sauce Gardner way lengthier. Derek Stingley obviously had probably the best corner. I'm sure the PFF stats were off the charts in 2019. Uh, do you lean one way or the other? Is there like a is Sauce Gardner more of a press man corner and Derek Stingley. Could he kind of do both? What's what's their profile looking like? Yeah, I think Stingley is the better corner of the two, but it's really close. They're right up against each other on my draft board. So for Stingley, it's not that he's just keen versatile. I just think his tape, when you go back to that 2019 season, we'll never see again. He did his true freshman tape in 2019 at 18 years old in the SEC. We will probably not see again. And when you talk to people that have done profiles on Stingley, who has not been you know, wildly a part of this media draft cycle, right? Like he's not consistently in interviews, such things. People that are close to him, you know, that situation at LSU was difficult with you know Edward Ron and that coaching staff and COVID impacting the season, all that stuff. I think he took really difficult or really hardly, and then that led to you know middling production. But when you go back and even look at the 2020 and 2021 tape, it's still very good. Like. Stingley is a phenomenal player, and I'm glad that the league is catching up on him. I think we've seen a couple of reports now that like he could be a lock to go in the top five. I think that's right. Like the Giants should be looking at him at five if if they don't grab Gardner there. If not, then I think you know, the Falcons at eight should be like a floor for yep. him. Derek Stingley to the Seattle Seahawks at nine, I think would be a steal in this class. And then for Gardner, another really good football player, a guy that can play press man like right out of the gate. And I think the the best tape to look at for Gardner is his Alabama tape because. Nick Saban, you know, purposefully, you know, ran a little bit more bunch sets and stuff to push them into off zone coverages. 
so that Garner couldn't man up on his guys and, and just play press. And he still had a phenomenal game. That, when you were dictating Saban and still having success, that is like the tip of the cap that it, you know every cornerback looks for. So I think it's right to have those two at the top. I think they're in a tier by himself as well. Yeah, it definitely seems like there's a drop-off. There is in my model, and same thing with the mock drafts. Then we have like kind of this next tier, Andrew Booth Jr. He might be sliding a little bit because of injuries. Then Trent McDuffie, Kyer Elam, uh, Kyler Gordon's also the other prospect that's getting a little bit of round one buzz. Is there any, or out of those names, is there one that you like above the rest? And is there one that's like for sure not a first round type of prospect? Yeah, I think Trent McDuffie is the consensus CB3 in this class. I think that's right. I think teams that don't play a ton of press coverage will like him. That's why I think he's being consistently mocked to the Eagles. They run the lowest amount of press coverage in the NFL. Uh, I think we had a, there was a report, I think from Peter King today, it says the Eagles of 15 are going to look at Jordan Davis or Trent McDuffie. And I think that's right. Like, I think that that's honestly where they're going to lean at that 15 spot. And if they don't get McDuffie at 15, they probably are going to look at him at 18, right? I think that, I think the chargers will like McDuffie at 17. And for Booth, I think if Booth played more and, and was healthier more, he'd be more in this kind of conversation with McDuffie, but instead I think there's a really good chance he falls because they just haven't seen a lot of his tape uh, and, and the injuries have kind of kept him from elevating his, his stock in the pre-draft process. I'm also still really high on Kyrie Elam, uh, younger cornerback in this class that ha- has good tape at Florida. Then I think there's the drop-off. You know, after Kyrie Elam, McCreary, I think is a slot. There's concern. Woolen's tape is, so far from complete, so far yeah. from polished. And then you have Kyler Gordon, who I don't think is as good as a prospect as McDuffie, but still like probably a top of second round player just from athleticism alone. Yeah, I've seen, I think Daniel Jeremiah, uh, he uh, was listing these corners, talking about if they're going to go round one. And he mentioned Kyler Gordon ahead of Kyler Elam, but my model likes Kyler ahead. I'm just kind of struggling. Is there like, what type of corners are they? Which is like looking like, I think the Bengals at 31st overall could be in play. The Lions at 32nd overall. Uh, Between those two, what kind of positions are they going to be looking at? Yeah, I think the Bengals and Lions are both would rather have Kyler Elam or Andrew Booth than they would Kyler Gordon. I think McCreary could be in the conversation, but, you know, Bengals already have Mike Hilton, who I think plays a slot really well for that. I don't know. I, I, I think it's, I think five corners come off the board in the first round. And I think it's going to be a combination of Stingley, Gardner, McDuffie, Elam, and then Booth. If if a sixth corner comes off, it would probably be Kyler Gordon. But I think the position that's going to be covered at the back end is probably off to tackle an edge, right? Ebiketti maybe slips in. Mafe slips in. Tyler Smith tries to slip in. I've heard conversations that Abraham Lucas could slip in, the Washington State offensive tackle. So I don't know necessarily that cornerback is going to be one that they're going to get stuffed into the back end of the round one. All right. uh, Last up safety Kyle Hamilton seems like kind of 11th 12th 13th overall um, bigger safety prospect what type of safety are, are we getting here it can be a, a back-end safety he's gonna play in the box he's gonna be covering tight ends what are we looking for yeah I don't think he's all that dissimilar to Justin Simmons and, and what the Broncos asked him to do and he was not like a track athlete coming out and I have less concerns with Kyle Hamilton's explosiveness than others do like his jumps were still inside the 80th percentile despite his 10 yard split maybe not being there and for that it's like you look at his start it was awful like he's all over the place he's not you could tell he's yeah, not used running to running like a snake <laughs> running like a snake out of a three-point stance i'm not concerned with that right i don't think he's gonna be in a lot of three-point stances in the nfl and then the other piece for kyle hamilton is that really productive at notre dame and everyone you talk to that has coached with it coached him or played with him is like this guy is one of the best players i've ever seen and i do think that when you go back and watch the tape 
know, there are people, smart people that are high on him, see him as a top five, maybe even top three player in this class. Hamilton, I think, is being overthought because he wasn't a track athlete. After that, though, I do really like the safety class. Big on Jalen Petrie. Love Daxon Hill. Lewisine could be the best, like, true deep safety prospect in this class. After that, there's maybe a bit of a drop-off, but there's, there's some really good talent at safety in this class. Yeah, in my model, Daxon Hill, Lewisine are the clear next two um, I've seen them in a lot of the first round mock drafts. Dax Hill might be more could play like nickel um, to start. He's a little more undersized. Is Lewis seen more of a deep safety? What, what are we looking at with those two? Yeah, I think with Daxon Hill probably has the athleticism to play different things, but almost exclusively played slot corner at Michigan. Same with Jalen Petrie. I think Petrie is probably a slot only type. I, I, and like slot only, in my opinion, at the, you know, a defensive back is a value, right? Yeah. Jay, Jay, you know, stock cornerback start in today's NFL. And Petrie was the highest run, run defender at cornerback position, all of college football last year. Daxon Hill is exactly what you look for in a box. He could play all any safety position you want. He could play box, he could play free, he could play slot. Um, I, I like those two a lot. I think Daxon Hill is firmly a first rounder for me. Petrie, a top half, you know, top half of the second round. And Lewisine could very well easily slip into the back end of the first two because I don't think there are a lot of deep safety prospects that have his skill set. Some people might look at Nick Cross, the Maryland safety. He's got the speed and the range, but like his instincts are all over the place. I mean, this guy needs way more experience, way more tape to like really firm up him as a football player. But like, he's a guy that I think is more of a day two conversation than Lewis seen. Yeah. I mean, Lewis seen just looking at it, Georgia prospect, 95th percentile, 40 yard dash. Like that seems to me like he can be a clear uh, late round one guy. All right, before uh, you tout the PFF stuff, just give me a random take, a rookie of the year take. Somebody's going in the top 10, just your favorite player, just something random that you might have not have shared on any of your other podcasts. Offensive rookie of the year, if he lands in Los Angeles, is Chris Olave. I I think Chris Olave goes at 17. I think there's got to be some significant conversation for him for offensive rookie of the year, especially because this quarterback class is weak. and. It's tough to bet on a non-quarterback to win offensive rookie of the year because very few non-quarterbacks win. You go back to the year where Josh Jacobs went off, Kyler Murray won it, Justin Jefferson broke records, just Justin Herbert won it. It'll be difficult for a rookie receiver to win it, but I, I, I still I still think that uh, Chris Olave in Los Angeles with what they have at receiver already, and obviously Justin Herbert, I think that's the conversation I really like. Yeah, if, if it's Jamison Williams, I don't think Jamison Williams is going to fall that far, but if it's Olave or Jamison Williams on the Chargers, it is ready to go. The fantasy community will not be able to yeah. The concern with Williams, right, is that you don't know when he's going to play. Like he, could, he, yeah. could, he might not come back until like week five. or that. That I would not bet Williams offensive rookie of the year, but if it's Olave, like he's playing right away, and I think he's one of the more polished receivers in this class. So I think early production is expected for him. Absolutely. All right, Austin, what, what's going on at PFF besides everything you guys are controlling the NFL draft <laughs> yeah. at this point? Definitely check out PFF.com. Uh, you know, we got the draft show on, on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's usually wow. a treat. If you like watching, you know, analysis, PFF's, you know, jaded analysis on the draft. It's going to be a lot of fun this year. we got a lot of really, really cool concepts to go over. And I think even before that, Probably like, what, 20 mock drafts coming out before Thursday. It should be a lot of fun trying to predict this class. I've been really honing in this year on draft props and and trying nice. to make some money on those as well. So check out PFF.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at PFF underscore Austin Gale. All right. Before you guys leave a like and subscribe, who's going first overall, just so I can get us in my mock draft? Is it is it Hayden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker? Do we not know yet? It's Trayvon Walker. I, I think Tra- here's the order I would put it in in terms of if I was building the odds. It's Walker, Aquanu, then Hutchinson. 
honestly, that's what Schefter said too. I don't, I don't think Hutchinson is the one or two favorite right now. Cause here's what's going to happen. The owners say, you know, you hear the reports that the owner wants Hutchinson. I, he's going to let his GM or his coach make the mistake. And the GM wants Walker and the coach wants a Quanu. I think he's going to defer to one of those guys. And ultimately Hutchinson is either a Detroit lion or a Houston Texan. Okay. That's how I have it currently right now. I think it's still somewhat up in the air. It's not a good sign to me that the Jaguars, their owner wants one player. The coaching staff wants another player then the GM wants the other. Who does uh, Urban Meyer want? That's yeah, what exactly. They're just going to trade the first overall pick for Kadarius Tony and call it a day anyways. All right. Uh, like, and subscribe. We'll be back. I think tomorrow, uh, Josh is going over some of these mock draft simulations with John Daigle. We're going to have a mock draft show on Thursday, NFL draft show, Tons of content. Go look at other prospect videos below. Thanks for Austin. Make sure you're following him, reading all of his work, listening to his podcast as well. With that, we're getting out of here. Later, guys.